0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Fire of Genius. My name is Marcus, and I am here in the room with... How's it going, everyone? I'm Phil. And I'm Luke. And we have a very interesting topic today, Um, at least one that I think is quite fascinating. It's an acronym, and it's an acronym that has taken the world by rage. It is what is known as an NFT. Philip... Or Luke, do either of
1: you had either of you heard of an NFT before this?
2: I had in a limited capacity, but okay. I had. I, I'll admit I'm a little out of touch. Luke?
1: Yeah, there are uh, memes that cost a
0: lot of money, right? Exactly, memes that cost a lot of money. We're gonna be talking about memes today. So NFTs, all right, and this is for the listeners. Well, i I've, I've learned a lot about them. Stands for non fungible tokens, and what non fungible tokens are, are this ability for the first time to digitize, mint through a unique source code on the blockchain, pieces of digital content or even physical objects. And this is something that has just absolutely exploded over the past year. So to give you some numbers, NFTs, again, built on blockchain, like Ethereum, Bitcoin. I pulled up information on CoinDesk, which is a very well-known cryptocurrency website that basically said in 2020 in the first half of 2020 nft sales amounted to 13.7 million dollars guess how much nft sales rose in the first half of 2021 philip how much it rose how I'm much gonna... it rose so 13.7 and now what do you think it's at do you want like a percentage oh,
2: you, can, you can do that or number i'd say 200 percent. i'm gonna go 200%. high
1: okay you're close perhaps five times five times 500 percent. well how about
0: 2.47 billion Oh my gosh. It's, just, it's in the billions right now. All right.
1: Billion with a B? Billion
0: with a B. That's a little I more than 200%. It. Uh-huh. So let's, let's back up here. So, so I was kind of explaining that it's a non-fungible token and it creates uh, this very unique code. And what you can use it for is you can digitize things like what Luke said. Memes. You can digitize videos. You can, you can create NFTs for physical artwork. And this has really been a boon for content creators specifically, because what it does is it creates this, this digital scarcity, right, where in the past, if you were an artist and you uploaded a piece of digital artwork online, it was basically in the ether, right? I mean, it was everywhere. Like, you know, what, what was the value of it if everybody could have it? Well, this has totally changed things, and especially for artists. So I know Philip and Luke are sitting here now and you're like, all right, what's the, what's the import to intellectual property? Well, that brings us to a very important topic of copyright. All right. Copyright is, is obviously massive here in the world of NFTs. And I want to give you like a good example of where copyright can maybe make things go wrong. And that is in an NFT project that recently came about called weird whales. And this was a project created actually by a 12-year-old kid named Benjamin Ahmed, who launched this project, and he created 3,400 whales, pixelated whales. They were like pixels, like they were like made of like maybe 10 or 15 pixels. Okay. And each, and and he created this coded program that created 3,400 individual unique whales with like hats in different colors. Okay. You know, some of them had like different backgrounds. Weird whales. Weird, wh- they were weird, right? And so he started selling these, right? He listed them originally for 0.033 Ethereum, which at the time amounted to around 66 dollars. Which I don't know about you, but to me that was a lot of money, right? I mean, 66 dollars a lot, right? For a pixelated whale. People got a hold of this project, this NFT project. And in a period of a few short weeks guess how much it was selling for people were selling these for three ethereum which probably doesn't sound like a lot to you but at the time was six thousand dollars for each pixeled whale. for each one Uh, each one each nft oh my gosh right now imagine going online to an auction house and buying one of these things for six thousand dollars or three ethereum right so this was exploding this was blowing up until someone Decided to go out and rummage around and found out that the base, the whale, right? The pixel, remember it was 10 or 15 pixels,
1: mm-hmm.
0: was actually taken from another NFT project. Okay. It, it was already pre existing.
1: Hmm.
0: So essentially, this 12 year old kid had gone online, taken the whale from someone else, and created his own project.
2: Now, I'm going to pause there. Is there an issue there? sounds like a derivative work from a copyright standpoint uh-huh. NFB, and what do you need you need uh, a license from the original uh, uh original author otherwise it's going to be invalid right exactly so you can imagine what
0: happened next people started freaking out selling their nft weird whales and the price dropped precipitously tons of people losing money the world's burning it's on fire Interesting. so today i want to talk about and i know both of you prepared short little law pointers i guess you could say i copyright. In the world of NFT, so for anybody who's listening, maybe they're interested in, you know, purchasing an NFT or making an NFT, what are some things they should maybe be thinking of to avoid a weird whale situation?
2: Yeah, and I guess before we get into that, I did have a question about that, that topic I just wanted to bounce off you, which yeah. is that so I know I've seen online, uh, some people think that NFTs are essentially uh, like a, a counterpart to uh-huh. copyright in the sense that it gives something value because it defines scarcity, where in mm-hmm. this... New media age, it's very hard to control the copying of things, which is what copyright is in many cases supposed to protect. But I think this weird whale incident is really interesting to me because it shows that even something with specific scarcity, even something with defined scarcity... Can still lose its value in the absence of copyright protection, essentially. That's sure. what happened, right? Is exactly. That essentially, there there was no right to registration for Weird Whales because it was a derivative work, and mm-hmm. and as a result, the value just absolutely plummeted. So mm-hmm. I think that that alone is a good point to make that NFTs are not a placeholder or not a replacement for. Copyrights. They're, they're exactly. something that I work in conjunction with. So I think, Luke, you're going to talk to us a little bit about maybe ownership of NFTs. Is that right? Yeah. So one thing to keep in mind, one
1: of the basic tenets of copyright law is when you buy a piece of art, you are purchasing the physical object and you have the right to enjoy that physical object. So section 202 of the Copyright Act explicitly says that ownership of a copyright is distinct from ownership of a material object in which the work is embodied. So when you buy a piece of original art, you do not own the copyright of that piece of art, you own the physical object that is the piece of art. Now you can imagine this doctrine of physical objects versus copyright gets a little bit murky whenever we're dealing with non-fungible tokens and these works of art that exist in the blockchain and in the virtual sphere. So another relevant doctrine in copyright law is the first sale doctrine, Uh, and this is section 109 of the Copyright Act, and essentially it says an individual who knowingly purchases a copy of a copyrighted work from the copyright holder receives the right to sell, display, or otherwise dispose of that particular copy. So if you buy a piece of art, you own the physical piece of art, and you can sell that, do whatever you want with it, but you do not have the permission to copy that piece of art and then distribute those copies. So this gets really interesting because this doctrine is very old and it has to do with tangible items. So there was a court case, um, Capital Records versus Rediggy, um, and Rediggy operates a website um, that allowed users to resell digital music files. So a user could buy MP3 of a song, back in the day. Um, <laughs> and once that file was sold to me per se, I could then sell it to one of you through the site. So it's this exchange of these digital files. Um, Capital records then claimed that Ridegi is violating their reproduction rights, uh, and the court actually ruled in favor of capital records, stating that because it was impossible to transfer a digital file without making a copy, such a transfer would be subject to the copyright owner's ongoing reproduction rights, as opposed to the distribution right limited by the first sale doctrine. Hmm. So the court in this case essentially separated these digital, intangible pieces of property from the first sale doctrine. Now, I mentioned this is kind of an antiquated doctrine, that the first sale only includes tangible items, because we're far beyond tangible items being the main uh, source of copyright. But it's codified, and the courts have upheld it, so we're kind of waiting for the legislature to update this doctrine. Um, And we see this, you know, in the Copyright Act whenever there's mention of media now known or later discovered. Um, So there's definitely have been advances to incorporate this, but the first sale doctrine itself has not yet met those other doctrines. So then there was another case uh, called Disney Enterprises versus Redbox, where a California court, court, excuse me, held that the first sale doctrine did not apply to digital downloads of movies. So, you know, with these music bites and digital download codes for movies, you can see how these are pretty analogous to NFTs. Mm -hmm. So if the new owner of an NFT has the access and ability to create new copies and then resell those, the NFT will fall outside the first sale doctrine and therefore there's copyright liability. So uh, this separation from the first sale doctrine could actually help creators. So when you create an NFT and you sell it for the first time, there's still some murkiness as to whether that person you sold the NFT to could then resale, redistribute. Mm -hmm. So naturally in the world of business, uh, the way to get around all this is contracts.
2: I was gonna say, it sounds like this is something that, you know, people could just contract around explicitly, right?
1: Right, so obviously all the rage about NFTs is that you buy them, you resell them for more money, you make money, so these theoretical doctrines, you know, don't really mean much in operation. And that's because of agreements. When you buy an NFT or you sell an NFT, there's an agreement that explicitly provides that the buyers have the right to resell the NFT. And some of these agreements, you know, as NFTs become more popular and as more famous people develop NFTs, these agreements actually can include royalties for the artist of the original NFT. Definitely, contract law is a way to get around the murkiness of copyright law um, and NFTs. I think, you know, on the horizon is certainly a digital first sale doctrine that will have to go through Congress or the legislature. But that, you know, we'll just kinda have to wait and see how this all plays out
2: Yeah, absolutely so another issue that i think would be uh, pertinent to talk about is is that of authorship which is you know we're talking about nfts and we're uh, speaking about them as as if they're kind of intrinsically things that can be registered you can have a claim to a copyright on them but what's interesting is some nfts that that i've looked at or, or read about there's there's a question really about whether or not they're eligible for copyright protection and that's specifically nfts That are generated using algorithms.
1: Hmm. This
2: is something that really poses a a unique question to our definition of authorship. The the Copyright Act protects original works of authorship according to uh, 17 U.S.C. section 102A and generally speaking to qualify as a work of authorship it must be created by a human being. I know uh, both Marcus and Luke here are in, are in copyright class with me currently, and if you guys remember Burrow Giles' lithographic, right, the case with the camera and the argument was made that it wasn't really a work of authorship because the camera is just a, a mechanical process, right? You're not... There, there's no artistry involved in, in clicking a button, but to the contrary, the court held, you know, that there were elements of authorship in the way that things were framed and the layout of the scene, so they essentially outlined that some photographs are definitely eligible for copyright protection though maybe not all are so there are some that would fall below that bar Looking into some of the advice that is published by the Copyright Office, uh, the, the office won't register works that are produced purely by a machine or a mere mechanical process that operates randomly or automatically without any creative input or intervention from a human author. And the crucial question is whether the work is basically one of human authorship with the computer merely being an assisting instrument or whether the traditional elements of authorship in the work, literary, artistic, or musical expression, etc., were actually conceived and executed not by man, but by a machine. Mm-hmm. So one kind of case study that I, I'd like to look at is uh, the work of Tyler Hobbs and his algorithm, Videnza, I might be mispronouncing that, uh, but it's really pretty stunning works. I don't know if you guys have, have seen them. I can no. uh, show a, a picture of them here, and I think it's, it's pretty obvious that... Uh, the works themselves are visually, you know, I, I think pretty interesting, pretty stunning, and uh, certainly, in my opinion, you know, they they rise above sort of the mm-hmm. the modest level of creativity that is typically required by the copyright office when when looking to register a work. So, uh, for the listeners, the the works are essentially uh, sort of spiral fractal images with different uh, size elements within them in different colors so they're I guess what you would call abstract art but they have a kind of mathematical precision to them it's pretty obvious that they're generated by something with pretty regulated metered expression in the sense that you can it it looks like something that would be generated by an algorithm I think or or something that would be generated by a computer and I guess I'll, I'll ask you guys do you think that something that's generated by an algorithm should be? eligible for protection under the copyright act should this be i mean just looking at it visually is it is it something that uh you you guys feel compelled should be protectable or is that is that falling below is that like an elephant taking a photo and and is the elephant an author i mean we've we've talked about this in copyright in the past um i mean you use the word metered you know
0: the parameters and definitions and metering of a code that ultimately produce that image that you described in my mind, very much replicate the court's rationale and fit within their rationale within, in Borough Giles. right? That's the equivalent of positioning the subject, pointing the camera, adjusting for lighting, and the clicking of the photo is, is of course the rest, which in this case is the code doing the rest as well. But mm-hmm. there's original authorship in the, in the original definition and, and encoding that produced that image, I think.
2: Yeah, and I think that that's, uh, I think that's a, there's a valid argument for that. Luke, do you have any uh, any thoughts on whether or not this is this is something that should be protectable?
1: Yeah, I mean, I see how this is a difficult question because I agree with everything Marcus just said. There is, you know, the purpose of the Copyright Act, going back to the Constitution, is to promote the progress of arts and sciences. So I think there is a question of what is this progressing these digital works of art that kind of float around in the blockchain and cost a lot of money, what, what progress is being promoted there? Um, so I think that definitely adds a layer of complexity to the analysis.
2: Yeah, and I completely agree with both of you. I think that this is something that is really going to challenge our notions of, of what art is and what we should deem worthy of protection. It's interesting that, if I'm not mistaken, the algorithm itself is actually accepted from protection under the Copyright Act. So, for example, if, if he were to seek protection for purely the algorithm, mm-hmm. that does not fall within the scope of copyright. I, however, would contend that the art should right. be, and, and although, after a quick search, it does not appear that the, the works are actually registered, we know that registration is not required for there to be rights in the works. It's, it's simply required to file suit in the United States for a U.S. work. However, there are certainly elements of human expression still here for example, if the, the color palettes are selected by him, or if there's a prearranged uh, you know, array of colors that the program can select from, things like that where the human hand of authorship is still present, which indeed I think are present here, that's something that certainly I think would, would give rise to uh, a level of expression that is you know deemed authorship, human authorship under the Copyright Act. And it's something I'm really curious to see how it kind of plays out, just similar to NFTs in advance so I guess the advice I would have to give to any uh, NFT generators who maybe are using <laughs> algorithms in the in the generation of those NFTs you know make sure that if you're going to seek copyright protection try to do what you can to ensure that there's a, a human interface in it you know think of the algorithm as the camera and you as the artist setting the scene right, right. draw that analogy that's really a way that you can analogize to long-standing precedent that would enable you to uh, seek protection for that work. I think that's about all we have time for today. Uh, So with that, we'll close out this episode. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Fire of Genius. You can follow us on Twitter at C-I-P-R-M-A-U-R-I-P-T-H. That's C-I-P-R-M-A-U-R-E-R-I-P-T-H. Or reach out to us on our website at iptheory.indiana.edu. Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in again next week.